Well, hey everyone, it's a real privilege to be able to share with you today. Uh, I want to start by telling you a little bit about a project that I was privileged enough to have a very small involvement in a number of years ago. And that is this project. It was called the Bloodhound Project. Now, Bloodhound is an engineering project that has been running for a couple of years now, and its stated goal is to break the world land speed record. Now, for reference, the current world land speed record currently sits at 763 miles per hour. But this project is all about producing a car which they think is going to be capable of running it at 1,000 miles per hour. 1,000 miles an hour, can you imagine that? Um, so if this car is successful in its quest, then it will be quite a bit beyond the current world land speed record, which I just think is amazing, isn't it? Now, Bloodhound is a brilliant feat of engineering uh, and a real kind of testament to the, to the skill of human endeavour. And I was privileged a couple of years ago to be able to have the opportunity to see the facility where this car was being built uh, and to have a look at it as it was in pieces and as the components of the car were being developed. Now, this car is powered by a Rolls-Royce jet engine, the kind that you would find on a fighter aircraft airplane. Uh, and if that wasn't enough power for you, it's also combined with a solid fuel rocket, the kind that you would find in a long-range ballistic missile. Uh, this car is quite literally a rocket with steering wheel attached to it. And I just thought it was amazing how much design, thought and engineering went into every single detail about how this car was being produced. Uh, for example, you can see the wheels there. They, were made of, they are made of solid titanium and they've been machined down to a, just to the, the most precise measurements. Now, they use titanium in order to, to maintain the structural integrity of the wheels at speed, and they get them down to a certain size and wheelbase in order to count the revolutions that the car will go to along its expected journey. And they measure these things down to the, the micrometer uh, to make sure that everything is working as you would expect it. Uh, all of the exterior panels have been architected uh, for, to ensure that the correct aerodynamics happen even when the car is travelling at obviously very high speeds. Uh, even the track that they intend to race this car on in order to get this world land speed record has been carefully thought through and planned out. They chose Hackskin Pan in the Kalahari Desert in the Northern Cape of South Africa. And they chose this area specifically for its flat, dried salt lake bed, uh, which is kind of smooth and unimpeded and, and allows the car to roll smoothly. But they didn't just stop there when they chose this, the, this place. They actually got the locals who live around the area there in South Africa to clear the surface of the track that they were going to use by hand of any rocks, of any dirt, of anything that might impede the progress of the car as it you know, rocketed along towards its goal. That's how much detail has gone into this project. And I just think all of this is stunning, isn't it? It's just amazing how much detail you get into, into a project like this. Now, they expect to be running this car in test a little bit later this year. And although my personal involvement in this project was very, very minor and very, very short-lived, I will be watching with interest to see what happens later this year and to see if they can get to their goal of running a car at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, what struck me most about this project, this Bloodhound project, was of course, the tremendous power that's being generated by all of those engines. Uh, and that almost all of the engineering in the car, you know, down to the aerodynamics, the steering, you know, all of that stuff is all geared around one goal. It's about keeping the car on the track, pointing in the direction that it needs to go. Because, of course, what is a solid fuel rocket going to do by nature? Well, it's going to go up into the stratosphere, isn't it? What is a, is a jet engine that's normally on a fighter pilot going to do? It's meant to fly, isn't it? 
And so all of this power needs to be harnessed in order for this car to be able to achieve its goal. But why am I telling you this? Well, as a church, we've spent, uh, we've just been, you know, in this series now called This Is Your God. We spent the last sort of nine, ten weeks focusing on and being blown away by some of the attributes of God. We've looked at how God is glorious in truth, wisdom, mercy, and much, much more. We've seen that even, you know, many people's, uh, you know, opinions of, of what might be considered negative attributes of God, his anger, his jealousy, are actually glorious demonstrations of his great love for his creation and his promise and his willingness to do something about the injustice that we see in our world. And then last week, it sort of culminated in us looking at the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the invisible God made visible in human form, in a, in a, in a way that we as human beings could sort of relate to. All of these attributes of this amazing God that we've been looking at over all these weeks being perfectly contained and yet totally fulfilled in him, Jesus. The man who lived the perfect life that we could never live. The man who took upon himself the punishment that we could never bear so that we could be invited into the family of God and be called his children. And now, today, as we bring this series to conclusion, we're focusing on perhaps the most extraordinary, I think, of these characteristics of God that we've seen yet. And it's this one, that God says that he is glorious within us. It sounds strange to say, doesn't it? If you're a follower of Jesus, God says that his glory is revealed in you. And I don't really know what to make about that. It's perhaps the greatest mystery of God's nature yet. It sounds almost sacrilegious, doesn't it? It sounds blasphemous to even say that somehow God is contained within his creation, within human beings, within me, within us. And yet, it's, this is what God says about himself. This is what he says about those who choose to follow him. And if that statement is true, then it means that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have tremendous power at our disposal. The power that created the heavens and the earth, the power that created everything that we can see, the power that sustains us even here and now is apparently all available to us without limit at our disposal. And if we're going to take advantage of this power and if we're going to use this power well, then we need to ensure that every area of our lives is as well engineered to understand and to receive God's power as the bloodhound car is well designed to keep it on track. And I, I guess my question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, to understand this, I think what we need to do is we need to grapple with this person, this, this being that, that lives within us. We have to understand this power that, that, that we've been given to know what it can do and to know what God wants us to use it for. And that's really what I want to talk to us about today. And then I want to help you to respond to see more of God's power unleashed in your life. Because I really believe that if we can grasp this truth in our lives, then God is waiting to do amazing things in his power-filled church. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at that together. Uh, we're going to read verse 27 together. Ver uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. The words are going to come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. But this is uh, in the middle of, or it's in the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And we're going to read just this one verse uh, 
together and try and understand it. Paul says to them, and when he says to them here, he's talking about people who know God, who follow Jesus, who've professed faith in Christ. Uh, these are the ones that he's talking about. He says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, in other words, the people who don't know God or who don't follow him yet. To, him, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. What a statement for God to make about us and about himself. Now, this is God's promise for all of God's people. But if you call yourself part of Everyday Church, then this is very much you know, a promise for you particularly. You will find this verse quite literally in our foundations as a church. This is a photo from the entrance to our Wimbledon venue of Everyday Church. And uh, this uh, dates back to 1987. And the pastor at the time uh, here in, in Everyday Church was a man named Norman Moss. And he laid this stone to commemorate the construction of the Everyday Wimbledon Church building. And you can see there at the bottom that that verse is referenced there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's part of who we are as a church, quite literally, in the foundations. And it's part of who we understand our, what we understand our standing to be with God. We, as everyday church, are the ones who have Christ in us. And this is a promise for all those who profess faith in Jesus and who know God as their Savior. And you might ask, well, how is this possible? How is it possible that God could dwell in people? How could a holy God who throughout the Old Testament maintained a separation between him and his creation now turn around and say he dwells within us? Well, it's possible when you understand the concept of the Trinity and uh, the concept of the Trinity that Paul is referring to here in these verses to the church in Colossae is that God exists as three different and distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is actually a really difficult concept to grasp, and, and, and you know, unfortunately, I don't have time to explain it all here. But this diagram goes some way to help us in our understanding of how these distinct persons of God are separate and yet all, unique, uh, all linked together at the same time. So we see here that God is at the same time the Father. He is at the same time the Son, in other words, Jesus. And He is at the same time the Holy Spirit. And yet, these three persons are distinct in and of themselves and they are not each other. So the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit and the Spirit is not the Father. And yet somehow they are all inexplicably linked together, three and one at the same time. Lots of people have tried to explain this concept in lots of different ways, some of which are more helpful than others. Uh, this is kind of one of the better ways that I've seen to describe it. He is both an individual all at the same time. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it, isn't it? Um, now, throughout this series, this, this Is Your God series, we've been talking about God mostly in the singular, as in God the Father. Uh, we've been talking a lot about God the Father's characteristics. Uh, but last week, we sort of switched tack a little bit and started focusing on Jesus the Son and how Jesus the Son is the living embodiment of all of the characteristics of God, but as a separate person, fully God and yet fully human as well. Uh, distinct but related. And today we're focusing on the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not an ethereal kind of life force or nature. He is a distinct person as described in Scripture, the person of the Holy Spirit, the often downplayed member of the Holy Trinity, this three-person God, fully God, uh, but also distinct and separate from the Father and the Son. 
But who is this Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is referenced throughout Scripture, throughout the narrative of the Bible. He is there in the very, very beginning of Scripture, in Genesis 1, right in the very first couple of verses. It says, when God was creating the heavens of the earth, it says that the Holy Spirit was there, hovering over the face of the waters. Jesus reminds us in the New Testament when he appears on the, on the stage to tell us that the Holy Spirit is active and present when people come to accept and follow him. Jesus says in John 3 uh, verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. And the first followers of Jesus recognized the importance of the Holy Spirit and his role as well too. Uh, Paul writes in, in his message to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 1 verse 13, he says, You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What wonderful truths. Now, I can remember you know, quite vividly this moment in my life when I understood who the person of the Holy Spirit was for myself. I, had go I was going through a phase where I was doing a lot of personal searching. I had good friends around me who were answering lots of questions for me and who were helping point me back to Jesus all the time. And I was doing Bible studies with my then girlfriend and now my wife. And I can remember us doing a, you know, a study on the, the finished work of Jesus. And I don't really know how to explain it, I guess, really, other than to say there was a point that we were talking and something just clicked inside of me. And, and I sort of, you know, was filled with this, you know, amazing joy and peace and security that God loved me and God had, a, you know, had, had an interest in me and had plans for me. And my wife will tell you that at that point, she said she saw something a bit like a flash come over my eyes at that point. And I knew from that point on that I knew God and God knew me. And my life was never going to be the same again. I was different from that point onwards. Now, it's not like that for every believer. That's not everybody's experience of what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is really clear that at the point at which you profess faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf and enters you and, and, and is a part of your life from that point on. I know that many people have vastly different experiences of what it means to know God. But what's clear is that the Holy Spirit is a vital part of who God is and we will lack a clear understanding of the complete nature of God unless we grapple with this person of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so if we accept that this person, this Holy Spirit, dwells within us when we put our faith in God, then the next question to ask is, well, what does he do? And I think this is one of the, quest the biggest questions and hurdles that people have. There's this idea that sort of, you know, this spirit is some sort of spiritual magic show that kind of, you know, exists around you but doesn't really, you know, impact you materially. It's almost like he sort of controls you by, you know, remote control and you don't have any control of what you're doing. And uh, he allows you to do these amazing, spectacular, miraculous feats. And then the temptation is to believe that if that's not your personal lived experience of the Holy Spirit, that somehow you, you know, what you've experienced doesn't match up with you know, some of these amazing miracles, that, that it's either passed you by or that somehow it's not for you. And I think that's just not true. Because I think although the Holy Spirit is very much a supernatural being and we can expect amazing you know, things that we wouldn't have been able to do by ourselves from the Holy Spirit, 
I think we can expect to, know, to see and know his work in very, very different ways as well too. I think that this misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit is actually quite harmful because I've found in my daily life that the reality is the work of the Holy Spirit is often generally more subtle and yet somehow way more glorious than we might ever realize. And I just want to say three things about what the Holy Spirit does really quickly. And I think the first thing to say is, is that the Holy Spirit, when he dwells in the hearts of believers, he guides us. The Holy Spirit guides us. Jesus says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Some translations have this word advocate as comforter. And if you think about it like that, then what an amazing promise from God that he sends us someone to comfort us. It's brilliant, isn't it? Is life tough for you at the moment? You have a comforter dwelling within you. Do you feel like things are going against you and not the way you kind of plan them to be? Well, you have someone dwelling within you to support and recommend and advocate on your behalf to the Father God who is in heaven. Amazing, isn't it? At the same time, that is way more specific and personal to each and every believer and yet way more spectacular than we give it credit for. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and is comforting us every step of the way. The Spirit comes to carry on the work of Jesus in our lives until the promised return of Jesus in glory. Uh, one of the ways that he does this is by acting as a helper for us. Um, and and uh, Jesus talks about this. And, and I guess the thing I want to say is, is that don't ever lose sight of how mind-blowing it is that we have a helper who is sitting in heaven, who is advocating on our behalf and comforting us when things don't go our way. The creator of the universe and everything in it wants to dwell within you and help you. It's amazing, isn't it? It's mind-blowing when we can get our heads around it. So the Holy Spirit guides us. The second thing that he does is he speaks to us. He, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Um, Jesus taught in John 16, 13, um, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus goes on to say that he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And he says that all that the Father is mine, all that belongs to the Father, sorry, is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and will give it to you. Now, for some people, this might take on the form of an audible voice, but I don't think God always works in that way. And I don't even really think that that's exactly what's being talked about here. Jesus is talking about the Spirit living within you and guiding you in such a way as to provide revelation that's going to help you in your day-to-day -day life. He's going to give you things that you don't know yet through the power of his Spirit. And this might be in a number of different ways. It might come in the form of a spiritual gift, such as prophecy, which is the ability to have insight into a person or to, into a situation in, in, a, in a moment and to bring God's message to that person or that situation at that point in time. It might be an ability to read and understand the Bible more. Uh, hence, it's, uh, it's clear here that the Spirit won't say anything that contradicts with God's already given word to us in the form of the Bible. Uh, the way that God speaks through His Spirit can be very varied, but one thing is clear is that God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us. See, I've also found that it can also be in some of the mundane things about everyday life where, where the Holy Spirit speaks through you and to you. I'll give you an example. 
Uh, I was in a meeting at work last week and we were discussing a very complex and a very difficult subject. And if I'm honest with you, I felt really frustrated in that moment in the meeting because I just didn't have any answers and I felt like I had nothing constructive to offer. Which is, of course, the point in the meeting when someone turns to me and says, Sean, what do you think? <laughs> and then in that moment, I sort of opened my mouth and almost with, you know, without thinking or without processing, I began to speak and I said something that I didn't really, you know, didn't, it wasn't even con almost not consciously registering at the time. And then there was a pause and then someone else in the meeting said, you know what, I think that's really insightful. And I thought to myself, you know what, I think it is really insightful too because I didn't come up with it. And then I realized in that moment afterwards that it was actually the Spirit giving me some kind of insight to help me in my working life, unconnected to the things of God and yet with divine insight for that moment and that point in time. And I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit is a, is a spiritual gift, but not just always for spiritual things. Because God loves us so much, and because he is, has, has said that he will help us, he will help you in every situation that you find yourself in in life, whether it's at work, whether it's with your family or friends, whether it's a difficult conversation with someone, God wants to give you insight to help you in that situation. He does it through the person of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the, uh, the Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit brings power. Uh, Jesus says in John 16, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And uh, earlier on, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. There's a promise from Jesus that when he leaves and the Spirit comes, that we should expect power to accompany it. The Holy Spirit brings, can bring the kind of power that the apostles displayed, you know, the power to heal the sick, to bring signs and wonders proclaiming God's kingdom. But he also brings power in lots of different forms, in the same way that he speaks in lots of different forms. For example, the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit that Paul references in his letter to the Galatian church, he says things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are also outworkings of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when you're able to be gracious to that work colleague who has been very ungracious and talked about you behind your back, that is this Holy Spirit power working in you. When you're able to resist the temptation to do wrong or to, to do evil or to not do that thing that you know you're not supposed to do, uh, when you're able to do the right but difficult thing in your life, when you're able to love someone who hates you, when you're able to be peaceful about circumstances that you cannot control. This is the Holy Spirit at work in your life, enabling you to do these things. When I, um, when I was a kid, this is probably me showing my age a little bit here, but I used to love a cartoon called Astro Boy. Now, as a 10-year-old boy, what's not to love about Astro Boy? Here we have a robot boy who runs around in his underpants, who has rockets in his boots and can fly, who shoots lasers out his behind, who has X-ray lights for eyes, flying around and solving crime in your underpants. What is not to love about Astro Boy? You can see why I love this as a kid, don't you? But Astro Boy, as amazing a robot that he was, had one fatal flaw. He had a battery in his chest. And as would, would often happen in the episodes, if the battery ever ran out, if he ever hit you know, something electric which shocked him, or if ever an, an, an enemy was able to get to the battery and take it out of him, which oddly enough happened you know, with quite regular frequency in these cartoons, Astro Boy would fall to the floor, lifeless, 
without power, unable to do anything. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit is just simply a nice add-on for your life. He is your power source. You are able to do nothing except through his power. Because he is God, he, is the power, he has the power to bring life. And without him, you are as effectively as lifeless as a powered-down robot. Paul carries on in his letter to the Galatians. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life if you want to know God, to walk in his ways and see his power unleashed in your life. So I guess the next question is, what does this mean for us? And I suppose the answer is, is that we need to recognize that the tremendous power that we have if we have the Spirit living within us, uh, you have the same power that enabled Jesus to walk on water, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. It's all yours. It's been given to you as a gift from Jesus. You don't have to earn anything to get it. You have it already if you call Jesus Lord of your life. What we can do, however, is what Paul instructed the church in Ephesus to do, which is to be filled with the Spirit. Some translations say, go on being filled with the Spirit. In other words, what it tells us is, is that we can ask for more and more of God's Spirit to fill us and to keep on filling us, to give us perhaps gifts that we don't have, to give us power that we lack, to bring intervention into a situation that we don't know what to do about. Whatever it might be, God is waiting on standby to give us what we seek. God is a good father. He gives good gifts. He says, I'm ready to, to, to give you this if only you will ask me for it. And so God in his infinite mercy gives us way more than we can ask or imagine. And so as we respond to God today, it might be that you want to ask for more of God's power in your life and you can receive prayer today and someone will pray with you and pray for the spirit of God to fill you and be more present and work more powerfully in your life. If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, then this power can be yours today. God's inviting you in today. He's drawing you in. We've been spending time as a church looking at the big characteristics of God. And there's a sense in which the, the time has now come for you to understand that these characteristics can be for you as well too. God's inviting you. He's willing to come in and live in you today and be with you through his Holy Spirit if you're willing to admit that your view of God has been way too small and actually he's got way more in store for you than you could ever hope or imagine. He wants you to be part of this and you can respond to him for the first time today. <clears throat> I think it also means that we need to recognize that we need the help of, God, of those around us to help keep this rocket of the Holy Spirit on track in our lives. It's so easy sometimes, I think, to let this power go to waste in us, which is why it's so important to keep in community with other believers, with other Spirit-filled followers of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit within you, so you have everything you need, but you also still need the Word of God. You need to read the Bible regularly to hear what God says about himself, and you need the Spirit's help to help you interpret the Bible as you read it. You still need conversation time with your Father in heaven. In other words, you need to pray. You need to talk to God and to have him talk back to you. And you need relationship with other spirit-filled people to help sharpen you and help keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and what his call is for your life. And you can only do that by gathering with, with, with like-minded and also different spirit-filled people around you to help you see God more clearly in your life. And the Holy Spirit helps with all of those things as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think we also need to realize that it's not just for our benefit that we have God dwelling within us. 
God's glory is contained within you. This is a glorious truth that we have to get our head around. But you just, you cannot contain the glory of God. You are too small a vessel as a human being to contain the glory of God, which is why Jesus says in uh, John 7 verse 38, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. In other words, there's a sense in which the God's power can't be contained within you and it goes out to those around you. Your life's purpose is to use the power dwelling within you to glorify God and to bless the people that you find around you. And it may, that may be in your working environment, it may be in your family or amongst your friends, the, you know, the people that you know at school, within your local neighborhood, wherever that might be. God's put you in proximity to those people so that he can use you to bless them. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, uh, is Paul speaking to, um, to the people of Athens in uh, Acts 17. So we're going to read that now, Acts 17, starting at verse 26. He says, From one man, Jesus, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You are where you are because God put you there. You are surrounded with the people that you know and that are in your life because God wants them to know who he is through you. It's amazing. You know, in the mid-1990s, here's me showing my age again, uh, a singer named Joan Osborne sang a song asking the question, what if God was one of us? And now just to be clear, I'm not saying that we are God's. But the glorious news of the Christian gospel is that God lives and breathes and is close to everyone in the world. Why? Because he has chosen to put himself in his, his, into his followers and to inhabit them. This is his plan A for the church, that spirit-filled people would impact others around them. This is God's plan A for his church, and he says the, the gates of Hades will not overcome his plan. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's a little bit like this candle. So I have this candle and this flame. Now we know that this flame carries enough power, as small and as insignificant as it appears, to set this candle on fire and to melt it and to burn it up. But what has to happen first before that can happen? They have to come close to each other, don't they? And it's as they come close to each other that the flame jumps from one to the other. And suddenly that flame that was here is now multiplied in here. It leaps from one place to the other, but it works on the basis of proximity, doesn't it? God is calling you to be a light to the world. God is calling you to be close enough to people around you so that you can bless them and that God can pour out his blessings on them as, uh, and he wants to do it through you. The Spirit has come close and dwells within you. And God says, now get close to those around you and help, and then I will do some work in you to make my Spirit come alive in them in the way that I've done it in you. The amazing conclusion to this series that we've been going through for the last 11 weeks is that God, the majestic, wise, merciful, loving, jealous, glorious God, this God declares with a loud voice that he is not far 
from any one of us. He's really close. He's close to you today. He's close because he dwells within the hearts and the, and the bodies of every spirit-filled believer. His message is that all of his power, majesty, and wonder that we've been looking at all these weeks as a church, contained within the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in you. Let's respond to this right now. I'm going to pray for God's power and God's spirit to be unleashed in your life. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful and thankful for these amazing characteristics that you have talked to us about over these weeks as a church. Lord, I thank you so much for the person of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that he dwells within me and I thank you that he lives within each and every person who professes you to be Lord. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone here that they would know the power of the Holy Spirit in increasing measure in their lives today. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us, each and every one of us, in an increasing measure that we may know your closeness all the more, that we may know your gifts in our lives all the more, that we may know your power at work in our lives and that we might bless the people around us with an increasing dose of your power so that more and more people would understand how amazing and how glorious and how wonderful you are. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Spirit. Please give us more of it, we ask. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.